Hi, everyone. I am Dr. Dominique Hammonds, and this is Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Welcome to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast, where we highlight the strength of our city, the spirit of our people, and share your stories of compassion. Welcome back to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm your host, Will Rucker, and I am absolutely thrilled that you have joined me for yet another episode of the podcast. I am so excited for today's episode, as I always am, but today really left me feeling refreshed, invigorated, educated, I mean all the feels. It was such a great conversation and I know that you are going to enjoy it as well. Today's guest is none other than Dr. Dominique Hammonds. She is an assistant professor in the Department of Human Development and Psychological Counseling at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. She earned her PhD in counseling from the University of North Carolina at Charlotte and her master's in clinical mental health counseling from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. She is a licensed clinical mental health counselor, clinical supervisor, national certified counselor, and board certified telemental health provider. She is the recipient of the 2017 Creativity Innovation in Counseling Award and the 2018 ACES Supervision Award. Dr. Hammond strives to creatively educate, compassionately counsel, and champion mental health awareness and advocacy where it matters most, the community. You are in for a treat. Without further ado, let's get into it. Well, thank you again for joining the podcast. This is one of those conversations that just has to be had. And I think that you are a perfect person to discuss this with. Your post went viral, 32,000 shares. Amazing. How did that feel? It was surreal. I never expected it to go beyond really my own students and family and friends. Um, and it, it was just one of those things where I kept getting alert after alert after alert and saw that I ended up having an exposure of almost 5 million people. Um, wow. Yes. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I think there was just something that really resonated with people about it. And I think what it was is that it helped normalize people's experience of just psychological experience of what they're going through right now with COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really impactful for me personally. So I just wanted to say thank you up front before you even get into our conversation for that post, because it really was very meaningful. So the first question that I have for you today is our hardest. And every episode, I really think long and hard about what can I ask that's impactful, that's potent, that's unique, and that I don't ask every other guest. I'm totally kidding. This is the same okay. question I always start with. <laughs> And it's simply, who are you and how do you define compassion? Okay, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, I am an educator, a clinical mental health counselor, a scholar, an advocate. And then there are so many other roles that I play in my life, like parent, partner, sister, friend, and I like to believe a global citizen. Um, How I define compassion, I think that there's a... a pretty simple definition that I have and that it's um, compassion to me is empathy 
toward others and care for others, um, regardless of their belief, identity, or experience. Wow, I love that second part of that, because that makes it all inclusive. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we really try to express and include people in is inclusion and helping others to recognize, you know, if everyone's not on board, then no one's really on board. Mm -hmm. And that can be a difficult conversation to have. But I think our guests so far have done a great job. And the way that you articulated that definition, I think helps push the ball forward even that much farther. So thank you for that. With, with your background, tell us about your practice and the, the type of work that you're doing. Sure. Um, so I wear two, two main professional hats. My first one is I'm an educator, so I'm an assistant professor at a university in North Carolina. Um, and I teach master's level students to do counseling. And um, I teach in the clinical mental health program at my, at my school. Um, that is a, a rewarding hat to wear. I think that um, what makes it so meaningful to me is that I can, I can touch the community in multiple ways. Not only do, do I get to wear that second hat of a clinician where I actually work with my own clients, but then I'm also teaching the next wave of practitioners who are going to go out in our field and they're learning the new things, the new experiences that our clients might go through. And um, it's just really cool to be able to mentor and help them walk through that journey as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the educator is, I think, one of our society's most valuable roles, most important, most vital. My grandmother went back to school. I think she was forty or fifty, somewhere around there, to become a middle school teacher. She had been a school bus driver and you know always volunteered in the classroom. But when she went back and became a science teacher. We were very, very proud of that. And so it's kind of in my blood to just have that appreciation. Yes. Oh, well, I agree. I think, I think teachers are amazing and I wish that they, um, I, I wish they got more props for what they did. Absolutely. More mm-hmm. props and more pay. No, that too. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't do it for the pay, right? We do it, we do it for the payoff. That's right. The pay, I love that, the payoff. So let's get into this. Maslow, you, that's what, what went viral. And we're talking about pay. You got to meet those basic needs if we mm-hmm. want to end up with self-actualization, right? So yes, that's what the theory states. And I know that since Maslow um, first created that theories in the mid-19th uh, century, um, I think we're in the there have been other theories that have built upon it and they've taken a critical lens as well at what that theory is really communicating. Um, you know, so I'll just give you a little bit of background about what the theory states. It's like, it's a pyramid, right? Um, the very bottom most tiers, they speak about life sustaining things and making sure that we have food and water and our basic needs. And then there's the, there are those middle two tiers that are esteem, love, and belonging, and they they reference our psychological needs. And then you already mentioned it that that tier at the tippy tippy top, that's self actualization, and that's helping us reach our full potential. Um, and the theory suggests that if we don't if we don't have a, a solid sense of safety and security and like those physical basic basic needs, then how is it possible that we could also reach psychological um, 
how can we fulfill our psychological needs? Because we're too, um, our, our, our minds are focused on making sure that we've got food to eat and all those other things. Um, and so I think where Maslow, the thought process around, the thought process that Maslow gave us is that, yeah, all those things are really important. Um, and then our psychological needs in particular are something that we do need to be paying attention to. Yeah, I think that's a great summation in all of what, 60 seconds? Sure. <laughs> to, I mean, there's more. I was, yes, I was thinking like, well, what do I say? What do I not say? Because there's so much more. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those things that I have been wrestling with for the last few years. So um, my listeners know my background, but I'll share it with you as well. Sure. I, I moved to Las Vegas as a Christian pastor. Mm-hmm. And so to start a church here is an offshoot of another non-denominational denomination. And one of the things that really hit me was our model didn't work in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And that's because our people here are so diverse, so different, and have different needs than really any other city I've ever lived in. And I've been in several, you know, over the course of my few years on the planet. Mm -hmm. So with this, when I started to look at this model, because I, I studied, of course, pastoral counseling, but I also had done some psychological studies as part of my undergrad. And of course, this came up. And I always said, you know, this is, this is a great starting point, a foundation. But my lived experience says it's not the totality. And one thing that I've been kind of advocating for as we've chosen to flatten the curve is to flatten the pyramid. And what I mean by that is to recognize that actualization, fulfilling a sense of purpose, really can drive some of those other needs. And I, as an artist, I'm also, you know, theatrical and musical. I know my artist friends, they will not eat if they're engulfed in their craft. And so that expression actually takes over what we've considered to be the foundation. So what are your thoughts on on just that big picture? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that you are hitting the nail on the head. That's one of the criticisms of the Maslow theory is that, so if you take the, the pieces, the tiers of the pyramid, they aren't always equal or they don't always go in the order that he proposed. Um, and sometimes you mix them up and they're, they, you can be working on one while also tackling another. So it just looks different in practice. Um, in theory, I agree, it is a good starting place. Um, and what would it look like if we were to centralize some of the, the middle or even the top tier of that pyramid to flatten it, as you've mentioned? What, how would our lives be different? What would it look like to put purpose at the center? Um, and I think that's such an interesting question. So I'm happy that you brought that up. Like, what if we prioritized mental health and well-being? Really, how would our lives be different? And like, what decisions would we make differently? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, it's, it's, such a, it's such an interesting question. Right? I think that in general, we would probably take more time. Like the skill of time, patience, and self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, I just said they're skills because I really do think they are. But I think those things would be things that we would centralize ourselves and it they would be valued in a way that perhaps they aren't as much right now like 
self-compassion seems to be one of those things that we talk about as a very lofty goal, something that we have the privilege of getting to maybe after we take care of some of these other things. Mm -hmm. Um, But what if we were to flip that and say, if we gave ourselves compassion, if we spent more time, if we allowed ourselves the time and space to be and, and determine what our purpose is, then might that make self-actualization easier or even meeting our basic needs easier for us? Um, possibly. But again, that's only theory. I don't know. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I, I have so many. And I actually will be releasing a video later this week on some of my thoughts surrounding this. But what I've noticed in the, the center of this pandemic that we're facing as a global society is that we're seeing some of our most noble and preferred qualities right alongside some of those that are less desirable. And what I have found is a lot of people, you know, there's this song that came out, I'm in the house, bored, bored in the house or something like that. You you know, I've heard it. I've heard it. Yes. And I'm like, how are you bored? This is amazing. (laughs) But the difference is I'm living a purpose life. And so the things that I do resonate with who I am as a being. And it's not just a function that I'm fulfilling for a corporation, so to speak. And I have a traditional nine to five, like most people. Mm -hmm. And of course that is, I'm fortunate where it's in an industry that I actually have a passion for, but I used to work in a call center and I've managed call center employees where I had to just check boxes because the company said so. But what I've always done is attach that to what's meaningful for the individual. So while, you know, taking a bill payment over the phone may not seem like noble work, it really is because you're, you're helping to facilitate a need or a desire someone has. So if you can make that experience pleasant, you never know who's on the other end. Maybe you're the only pleasant voice they hear all day. Isn't that something you want to be proud of? Don't you want to do a good job in that? So taking that and helping people to really recognize the significance of the insignificant things I think is what what we really need to focus in on now. Um, The toilet paper hoarding, I'll admit, my first reaction, my knee-jerk reaction was, you people are crazy. But then I thought, you know what? No, they're trying to create normalcy and take a measure of control and manage the thing they can manage. Now, this is a respiratory disease. I don't know that it causes diarrhea, (laughs) but... No, but (laughs) you're right. It's all about control. Um, And I think... there's so many things that I want to respond to with everything you just said. Like, I think that there's, I I get the sense that both you and I feel that there is a purpose in what we do. So when I'm working, yes, sometimes it's tiring. Yes. It can be frustrating. Um, Yes. Sometimes I, I'm like, where did all my time go? I fulfilled it all day, just going back to back and doing things. But in that I, I feel like I'm walking in my purpose. I am doing something that is helpful. Um, So it doesn't quite feel like checking boxes. It feels like building a career. It feels like helping other people. It feels like making the community or world just a tiny bit better of a place. Um, And the idea that you and I get to do that, we're privileged in that way, right? And there are others who have to work to find that slice for them, work to find a piece of what they do that gives them meaning or helps fulfill um, 
a sense of purpose for them. Um, so, you know, it, it's can, it can be difficult. Um, it's not everyone's experience that they can wake up in the morning and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to work. And <laughs> How can um, and just, people find that, though, in, in those professions? Of mm-hmm. course, now, you know, the grocer is an essential employee and the, the delivery driver for, for the pizza place is essential. Mm-hmm. So those jobs have been considered menial in the past. How can those people that now are finding themselves with new attention. How do they yes. truly find purpose in what they're doing? And I will admit, I, I don't think 90% of them want to do that for a career, but mm-hmm. how can they make the most of the moment? Mm-hmm. So one thing I think is important to point out is how quickly the shift can happen. So you mentioned maybe grocers or people who are stocking shelves, delivery, people who are doing deliveries. Those are the jobs we need right now. They are essential. Um, and you've heard not all heroes wear capes. And, you know, if, we could, if you could picture every person who's doing a job like that, it's like they're wearing a cape right now. They're out there risking their lives for the sake of us so that we can, you know, go to our refrigerators and have the things that we need or go pick up the things we need off the shelves of a store. And it's all about perspective. So if you think, believe, and feel that what you're doing is not meaningful, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna think that. Continue to believe it. You're going to feel that. But look at how quickly the shift happened. So the same jobs that previously might have been perceived as meaningful, now we look at them and we say, thank you. <laughs> thank you for what you are doing for us. Um, so that tells you how much power and control we actually have over our lives, right? It took one flip of the switch and now all of a sudden we think of them differently. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, you're absolutely right in that. It Overnight, things changed. And I think that's it's something I've tried to, as a pastor, I share that all the time. Your miracle can happen in any moment, you know, mm-hmm. but that, that's kind of the encouragement side. But I do want to talk about the work and the preparation side as well. Life after COVID is just going to be different. How has your work changed already? How do you see it changing? And how can we prepare? Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, (laughs) oh, that is the, that's going to be the decades long question. Um, How has it already changed? I think that mental health care was already significantly important to our communities, but today and after COVID, I think it's going to be something that will be imperative. Um, and I don't, I don't say that lightly. I think that we'll, we're seeing more people who are experiencing anxiety, depression, fear, grief, loss, trauma, um, just so many experiences that maybe they felt before, but now it's on a, a magnitude that they can't ignore. Um, in the clients that I am seeing right now, I'm noticing more anxiety symptoms, but it's interesting because they don't, they're not really labeling them as anxiety, right? They're coming in saying, I'm staying up till 3 a.m. watching Netflix. I just can't fall asleep. Or I'm eating much more these days and I just, I just don't know why. Or they're saying things like, I am finding myself almost compulsively Googling coronavirus and I'm checking the news updates all the time. 
and I'm saying, hello, that's anxiety, right? Right. Um, Yes. And so it, it can be really helpful to label someone's experience because once you label it, it normalizes it. Um, and I think going back to that post, I think that's why it was so, um, it was so meaningful to so many people is because I was able to say, you're not alone. This is something that so many people are experiencing and this is why, and it's okay that you're feeling it. You're human for experiencing these things. You're not deviant, wrong, bad, um, negative in any way. It's okay. Um, other things, because you, uh, this is a good question. Okay. So I want to, <laughs> <laughs> I want to unpack it. Yes. Um, <laughs> what I am finding myself doing more of now is just really being intentional about meeting people where they are. Um, I know that that's an industry phrase, right? Meet, meet the client where they are. So taking whatever they're bringing in uh, when they're coming to meet with me and just that's what we're going to talk about. Like, what do you need today? Um, really spending more time building rapport, checking in and just saying, how can I be helpful today? Um, because we may have had um, long-term plans or treatment plans already developed, but what is immediate today, that seems to take precedence and that's okay. Um, so I've, I've been spending more time doing those things. In addition, my work, the way it looks is different. Um, I am a board certified telemental health provider and telemental health was something that I would do for a few clients. And then today it's all of my clients. Right. Uh huh. Um, because of physical or yeah, physical distance, distancing, social distancing is something that we just, we cannot do to be in the same room right now. Um, and I think people are getting more and more comfortable with using online counseling as a service. They're saying, I, I need to talk with someone and this is my option. So I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in addition, you find that I think, it's as effective or are there things that you lose or. Well, um, yes to both. So okay. yes, I do think it is as effective as face-to-face counseling, but there are things that we lose. Um, I'm a big sense person. Sometimes when, and I know you mentioned that you're also in the field or, and you have counseling training. So, you know, when you sit in a room with someone, you can feel their energy. You can feel sometimes that they, there's more to their statement. You can feel emotion and you lose a bit of that. Um, I find myself making more uh, immediacy statements and just pointing out what I see often. And that sometimes can help. Like, I can see that something's happening, some wheels are turning, or I see that, you know, the emotion that that's coming across is very different than the words that you've just said. So just using statements like that to help draw that out, but it is a little bit different. And you Um, said you've been certified in that piece. So there's specific training that is available to help navigate that space then? Yes, there is. Um, So there are so many different agencies and um, I'll say credentialing or education boards that do it. But my certification came from NBCC, National Board of Certified Counselors, um, and the Center for Credentialing and Education. And that's through the uh, American Counseling Association. Okay. That's really good, I think, for people to know, because that has been one of the questions I get a lot. And and again, my other work, doing these these, uh, 
presentations. I'm a, I'm a public person. Like I, I do crowds, like that's been my life. Yes. <laughs> so that, that is something that, you know, comes up quite frequently. Well, is this going to work virtually? Is this, is this even an option? Will it, will it succeed? Or, you know, will people just tune out because meetings in the past, of course, you had to do it. Oh my gosh, I got another meeting. Oh, here we go. But now it's like, I have a meeting. It's an interaction. You know? <laughs> I have a meeting, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the whole spectrum is there. But I, again, I'm glad to know that there are professionals that are, are skilled in that. Mm-hmm. And I want to circle back to another skill you mentioned, which is that self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Right now, because you are so needed, so essential, which is an overused word, of course, but it, mm-hmm. it's the best one we have. How are you employing self and ca- self-compassion so that you don't burn out? Oof, oof. So that's a great question. Um, in the past, so let's pretend like we weren't in a global pandemic or experiencing a global pandemic. Um, it is possible that I may also be experiencing something that my client may be experiencing. And that's, you know, you've probably heard of transference, counter-transference issues where, you know, our experiences sometimes uh, leak over into our clinical work and vice versa. Um, in, in a pre-COVID world, that might be something that I would experience here and there, right? But in, in a COVID world, I don't really have the luxury of saying to clients or in my mind believing, okay, this is something they're experiencing. I can kind of step outside of it and this is not my world. But I am going through COVID, just like all of my clients. I have friends and family members who I worry about getting sick. I have people that I know who are essential employees and who are on the front lines. I have um, a sister who is a a medical practitioner, you know, and so it works in a level one trauma center in a hospital. And all those things are going through my mind as I'm listening to clients talk about their stories. So yes, it is absolutely a consideration. How do I take care of myself so that I can also take care of other people as they're bringing to me what they're experiencing? I've found that what has been helpful is giving myself time, Um, time to disconnect, whether that means turning off the news or turning off my phone, um, getting outside and walking. Um, I just need sometimes time, right? Um, I've also found support to be really helpful. I have a group of really close colleagues and uh, friends that I can check in with fairly often, almost like a consultation or a supervision group. And we will text each other, call each other and say, I just need to get this off my chest, you know, and just process experiences. Yes. Um, Yeah. So it's relying on other people to, to, to act as that sense of support because, you know, we're, we're supporting other people. Um, counselors have counselors as well. Um, so it, it can be any number of things, but I would say to anyone else who is in the same, who, who is experiencing this as well to do things that you find rejuvenating, whatever that is. Um, and to make time for it, almost like scheduling it in and to remember the perspective that it's not, something that you can 
push back. Um, I don't know about you, but there are things sometimes in, in my calendar that I look at, I'm like, ah, oh, that can wait. Okay, there's all these other to-do list items I need to take care of first, but no, prioritize that. Yeah. Otherwise, I can't be supportive to other people. Prioritize self-compassion. I think we do like a hashtag on that or something. Yes. Hashtag it. Yes. Mm-hmm. It, it really is so important. And I know that sometimes it can feel selfish to do that, but no, don't think of it like that. It is essential. It is something that you're, it's like maintenance on a car, right? If you don't maintain um, your services, your car is going to break down. And then you can't get from point A to point B. You can't pick up your loved ones. You can't do what you need to do. Yeah. yeah. It's so important to, to realize that you have to function in order to be of service to others. Yes. In our industry, our profession, the helping world, mm-hmm. I think this is something that we just need to own and recognize we have not done a great job of this historically. And now is the moment where we have to, like you said earlier, flip that switch and it starts today. It doesn't have to wait till it's convenient or till this passes. No, it it can start today and we can begin showing the same care and concern we share for others with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It can, not only can it start today, it should start today. Thank you. Yes, it should. All right. So we're down to our last few minutes and I want to be respectful of your time. I've got to dive into this last topic, which is, which is a bit more controversial, but it's, it's Mm -hmm. so needed right now. Life after COVID, I think everyone should have a counselor, period. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter who you are. African-Americans as a culture typically are resistant. Mm -hmm. Why is that? And what can we do to, to shift that? Ooh. So first I can say that, um, I reacted immediately to the word resistant that you just used. And I think that it is perhaps maybe not resistance, but I would say hesitant. Mm. Um, And I intentionally use that word because I think that it would be, I think it would be naive of people from people from the outside looking in to see that pattern and to dismiss it and to believe that um, it doesn't make sense because it actually does. Um, how, how could a group of people not be hesitant in going to see counselors when there have been decades, centuries long worth of trauma associated with systems, right? Um, I, th- I believe that good counseling strives to be culturally informed and it it balances meeting the needs of the clients where they are. And then of course, looking toward the future and developing those goals and, um, and those goals that are co-constructed and it helps, um, use the power of the relationship to, to help the client go where they're going. Right. I, I feel like I'm so fortunate to be in this field, to be one of the people as a licensed clinical mental health counselor who gets to walk alongside our clients and help in, in their journey, but in doing so, so this is the important part in doing so as a counselor, you have to acknowledge the humanness of our clients. Right. And sometimes I think counselors make the mistake of, thinking that connecting to the humanness of clients means only seeing the essential personhood pieces and finding what makes all of us the same. And that's the mistake. 
Um, you're probably like, what, where is, she <laughs> where is she going with this? But it, I think it's actually a bit more complex seeing the humanness in, in our clients and everyone means that instead I want to see everything that makes you, you. So that's your background, that's your personal experiences, your successes, failures, relationships, thoughts, feelings, behaviors, you know, all those things and historical traumas. I think that right. takes us back to where we started with the pyramid, mm -hmm. recognizing that it is a great model and you've got to add that and to it. Each person is an individual and the experience of one doesn't necessarily mean it's going to reflect the experience of another. And even the lens with which that experience is viewed or seen um, can be vastly different from person to person. So talk a little bit more about the fact that not every, well, really no one is the same in, in the absolute sense, but how someone that wants to be of service can be and can become more competent. Oof, oof. How much time do we have? Because I feel like <laughs> I feel like we could we could go in on that one, but yeah. I'll try to keep it brief. And I so one thing I have noticed. Um, because I'm an educator, I have three hour class blocks. And so I find myself, I can talk. So okay, you you're like me then. I, I need that. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to rein me in, but, um, okay. So I would say as a counselor, you cannot claim to see your client's humanness. If you refuse to acknowledge how their experience, just moving through the world beyond a shadow of a doubt, indisputably, is impacted by the presence of power, privilege, and oppression. Um, and so if you don't acknowledge that those things exist or the fact that they sometimes, sometimes mask themselves in our laws, systems, policies, if you don't see that they seep into every part of uh, like systems that our clients interact with on a day-to-day -day life or basis, how do you see them? Right. right? Like, yeah, how, how can you claim to see your client, to connect to their humanness if you deny large chunks of who they are? And if you don't understand how that impacts them. So it's not just this thing that we study in a book or maybe we hear on the news. These are real people living through the impacts of systemic inequity, right? Um, so, I think so are you saying that they can't just pull themselves up by their bootstrap just because? I am saying that. <laughs> I am saying that. Absolutely. Um, and this is, this is something that I also work toward as an educator. Um, I often teach multicultural counseling and um, help me because this may also become a little bit controversial, but one of the one of the topics that we cover early on in the course is white privilege and it is important. It is something that we spend a long time unpacking because it's like trying to show a fish water. How do you teach someone that there is this thing that's been operating all around them when they're swimming in it? It's difficult to see. And to not acknowledge those things is to also not be a culturally competent counselor. It's not seeing your client's humanness and it's 
frankly, doing the client a, a big disservice. And that's why I think African-Americans tend not to seek counseling because they get people who say, and well-meaning, yes, I am culturally competent or yes, um, I, I accept and welcome and value all people. But then they get into that chair and they start to see that perhaps there are biases that are coming through that maybe this, this counselor had no, just maybe just some lack of awareness around. And I, sometimes it's not an intentional thing. It's we have to be striving to always understanding that our biases can pop up. And I said our biases because we all have them. So that's step one, right? <laughs> Acknowledge what your biases are because you do have them. You can't pretend you don't and they will come up, but it's understanding what they are so that you'll know and you'll know how to work with them. Um, so no, um, this whole, this idea of pulling oneself up by your bootstrap, that's um, a tool of the system to help maintain status quo. So Ooh, I felt like I got controversial. I'm sorry. No, I, I love it. And we really could go in and on that for a while. Uh, one of my favorite phrases is I don't see color. And I love to be able to have a conversation around why not seeing color is not a good thing. So we'll, we'll do that for, for episode Another two. Another one? I'll come back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was ready. I was ready to like jump in there. But <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I want to ask, what should someone that has now, okay, I recognize counseling is something I need. How should they approach finding an appropriate counselor? Mm -hmm. Well, um, there are many tools, websites, places you can go to get a list of people that might be in your area. I would say if you are fortunate enough to have insurance, start with your insurance provider. On their website, they have a list of providers that are in your area, and you can just Google that or go to your insurance carrier's website, select your zip code, different carriers have it set up differently, but start there because um, if you do have insurance, it helps with the cost, the out-of-pocket cost of that. If you don't have insurance or if you prefer not to use that, then there are websites like psychologytoday.com or, or Google, it can be a friend sometimes, but here's, here's the other caveat that I would say. Um, ask questions, interview that person. So just because someone has a, a license doesn't mean that they'll be a good fit for you. A counseling relationship is about fit. Right? Um, just like finding a partner might be or finding a friend, um, even though, okay, counselor's not your partner or friend, we know that it is a helping working relationship. However, I still wanna know a little bit about, about who you are. How do I feel with you? Um, tell me about the ways in which you intentionally provide culturally competent counseling. And that is a question I would actually recommend people ask. Say that so question you, one more time then. Sure. Tell me a bit about how you intentionally provide culturally competent counseling. And I think you can, you can glean a lot from people's answers there. And you can get a sense of, okay, does this feel good to me? Um, or if it doesn't, then go to the next person. Like, you know, you don't have to feel stuck with one person. Um, I will say, and I acknowledge that there are some areas that might be very rural, that might be isolated, and there might only be a few practitioners. Um, 
And on top of that, if you're looking for a counselor of color or a counselor who shares part of your experience, um, you might also find that there may be limited people in your area. But it doesn't hurt to ask questions, to do your research, and to not settle for just the first person that you pick up off a list. Um, it's, that fit is really important. I think that's great advice. Don't settle for just the first one just because and do that interview. And that can help to ease that hesitancy, I believe. Yes. It is something that I'm encouraging everyone again, post COVID start now, if you can, I think there is just, I don't think we recognize generally the type of trauma we are experiencing and the type of grief that we'll be enduring. And I see it. I'm a, I'm a big social media person. Cause I'm, I'm just, I'm interested in what people are really thinking. And sometimes face to face, you don't get that. Mm -hmm. So I am seeing a lot of people in that grief cycle, particularly in that denial phase where they're like, this isn't happening. So <laughs> this is a hoax, you know, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And while it's, it's hard for someone that's personally lost numerous loved ones, you know, to, to hear or watch someone say it's a hoax, I still recognize like that's their process. Mm -hmm. And so I think that your work and those that you are training and others in this field are going to just be even more needed than they already were um, going forward from today. So I want to thank you again for joining the podcast. How do people connect with you? Where can they find you? Absolutely. So they can connect with me um, on my website. That's a good place to find all of my social and things that I am doing out in the field. My website is www.hammondscounseling.com. Perfect. Well, I will make sure we put that in the description so they can connect easily and my last question for you before we close is simply this. How are you embodying compassion in the world today? Hmm. I'm going to sit with that. I am using my voice. I am spreading what I know. I don't know everything, but I know some things. And <laughs> what I know is to give grace, to normalize, to uh, spread knowledge and information. And that's something that I am fortunate enough to do in my, in my job, in my work and all the roles that I, the hats that I wear. And um, it's my hope that I can continue to do that in, in my life um, for the foreseeable future. We'll leave it there. This has been Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Thank you for listening. This episode was made possible by the Jameson Foundation in partnership with the Moonridge Group. There are so many amazing things happening and so many people have inspirational stories to share. So if you are one of those people, this is your platform. Email me at will at winningwithwill.com. Use the subject line Compassionate LV and let me know your story. I'd love to have you on the show or to feature your story in a future episode. Be sure to subscribe, and if you haven't already, leave a five-star review. Your review and rating helps others to find this podcast and helps to further the mission to make Las Vegas a more compassionate place to live, work, and play. Today, Dr. Hammonds encouraged us to prioritize self-compassion starting right now. 
What are some ways you found to employ compassion for yourself? Tell me about it in your five-star review and you just might hear it in the next episode. In case you didn't know, Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast, is now on YouTube. If you want to not only hear these awesome stories, but see our incredible guests, subscribe to our visual podcast on YouTube. Just search Compassionate LV Podcast with Will Brucker and the channel will pop right up. Love and compassion aren't luxuries, they are necessities. Live the golden rule and treat others the way you would want to be treated. Together, we can make a difference. Together, we will make the world a more compassionate place. Know that you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. Be well, my friends, and we will meet again on the next episode of Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast.